At the Indian Institute of Science, several timely research and technology development projects have been initiated to address problems arising from the current COVID-19 pandemic. However, due to lockdowns and the reduced functioning of the world overall, the researchers are facing difficulties in disseminating the results of their work. Through this series of informal conversations with some of the researchers and scientists behind some of these projects, we hope to gain an understanding of the what, the how, and the how does this help of some of these fascinating projects. So thank you everybody for tuning in. This is part of our podcast series on the responses from uh, the Indian Institute of Science in dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic. And today we have with us Naveen Kashyap and Vinay Kumar, who will, I think I'd like to start by asking them to introduce themselves, if you could, gentlemen, because I think our listeners would like to hear about who you are before we delve into the intricacies of the work that you're doing. Uh, So maybe Vinay, you can start. Okay. Hi, so I am Vinay. I am a PhD student and working with Professor Naveen Kashyap in Electrical Communication Engineering Department in IAC. So the kind of uh, so before coming here, I finished my bachelor's and uh, master's in uh, Bits Pilani, and then uh, I worked for a year in IASC in the DAC department before uh, joining for a PhD here. The broad area that I am working on as part of my PhD is uh, broadcast algorithms on networks. So that's about me. Okay, all right. And uh, Naveen? Yes, uh, my name is uh, Naveen Kashyap. Uh, I am a professor here in the ECE department at IISC. I have been at IISC since 2011, officially, January 2011, prior to which I was actually a professor, an associate professor at uh, uh, Queen's University in, uh, in, in Ontario, Canada. I moved back to India uh, I started here as a visiting professor. Of, I was on sabbatical from Queen's officially around 2010. And then thereafter, I basically joined the AC department full-time in 2011. My own, my PhD is from the US. It's uh, from the University of Michigan. And I primarily work in research areas of information theory and coding theory. I'm effectively an applied mathematician. Yeah, so that's, that's my background. Lovely. Uh, thank you very much. So if I can just ask either of you, uh, how did the two of you start collaborating? Is this something that would happen in the normal course of events at uh, in your regular fields or was it specifically for this particular project? So let me see. I mean, it's not how did we start collaborating is a corollary or like as a consequence of how this whole project started. So this is, I guess, around the beginning of April, a colleague of mine from the US had contacted me asking whether uh, there were some, you know, my background, as I said, is in coding theory and this colleague also sort of his background mm-hmm. is also in coding theory. In coding theory, what we, I mean, it's, you know, what we deal with are uh, means of cleaning up noise in transmission of signals from transmitter to recipient. So when they are communicating some signal from one transmitter and it's going to be received at some remote uh, recipient uh, location, Mm -hmm. uh, there's going to be ambient noise that distorts the signal along the way and codes, uh, error correcting codes are a means of combating this, you know, the noise that gets added or gets, that distorts the signal along the way. And uh, so this person contacted me saying, well, you know, as coding theorists, there's also this uh, certain group of coding theorists is interested in something called group testing, wherein, uh, which is also a very old idea, goes back to the Second World War, 
when uh, to detect infected individuals among the population so in this particular instance it was particularly specifically syphilis among the population of gis in the us right uh, soldiers of the american soldiers so you know individual testing each individual soldier for a prevalence of syphilis prevalence rate of about 10% or like maybe even less was kind of wasteful in that you would like why not just you know take samples from everybody or to take samples from batches of these people pool the samples together and then you test the entire sample as a pool and you okay. see whether in that sampled sample whether you can find traces of that infection so if you if there is none if there are no traces to be found in the infection the entire sample is clean and that pool is clean and then if there are traces to be found then you now try to narrow it down using you know maybe further you know, divide and conquer type of search right right and so the same sort of idea of course is clearly applicable in this current context today so you know so so the question that was uh, that my colleague asked is whether that uh, pooled sampling is being considered for covid testing in india the uh, lockdown had just about started i think mm-hmm. and uh, testing was quite infantile in that at that stage it was kind of very very much in its early stages in india right. uh, it was the protocols were only being developed and pool testing or pools you know, sample pooling etc was considered not a very good idea in the sense that dilution of samples that the, the right. prevailing theory was that samples would get diluted if you pool them and you will not be able right. to catch traces of the infection in those pooled samples right. anyhow we started working on this so this was okay then we said okay we can try to see whether this kind of we try to model this infection and see whether pooling of samples would actually make a difference in saving tests in when you want to try right. to catch the amount of you know right so there are two there are maybe two particular reasons for pooling for using pooled sampling tests one is to detect infections in individuals so okay. specifically if you want to detect infections in individuals that is you want to determine whether in, a specific individual is infected or not so if you again would do the same thing that is you would pool you know bunch of individuals together into one sample i mean you pool the samples uh-huh. test if the test comes out negative then we're all good if the test comes out like if it says that there is an infection in this sample then you try to narrow it down and until you come narrow it down to an individual so but what we were interested in is see one thing that we don't know is even to this day actually we don't know and this is a shame i suppose what is actually the prevalence rate of this infection within the general population if we take a random random person from the general population and ask what is the probability that this person is going to be infected in other words if i take a random population of 10000 individuals how many individuals within that population would you expect to be would to be infected this is a very important thing from public health perspective the rate of infection that is on a particular day if you ask me within this population how many individuals are infected okay right. so these individuals may be may not be showing symptoms they may be asymptomatic they may not be tested they do you don't know right like these are there are people in the population these now it is coming out like you know the vast majority of people carrying the infection actually are asymptomatic it is now yes. kind of starting to you know become apparent we are seeing this on campus iisc campus today in fact like you know we test people they are not showing any signs of infection and lo and behold they are they are coming out positive it is something that uh, the government has been in denial about throughout that even today it is completely in denial about the fact that there is no community that there is community transmission it is completely clear that it exists it, there is no doubt that community transmission is in full force is in full swing now. right what do you mean by community transmission the only way to say detect community transmission or the prevalence rate of a population is to do carry out random testing pick random people from the population and test to see whether they are carrying the infection or not if you don't look into it at a new place at all you will never know what is there in that new place 
but you have to do it okay so if that's too expensive to do so then maybe you can pool the samples to try to determine whether you try to cut down on the number of tests required and still say whether or not you can by pooling samples is it possible to detect this infection rate in a population here right. the idea is not to detect how many individuals are infected i mean to to decide or diagnose individuals you are trying to mm-hmm. determine the rate of infection within a population which is a complementary right. uh, objective so actually so that is when i got to got together with my colleague uh, manjunath krishnapur is a professor in the math department okay and like we started discussing this and then like you know some ideas started going back and forth between us between modeling how to do something like this okay. then we got these students our some of my students including binay and uh, some of one of one of his students who basically started uh, doing this modeling work and simulating it on their computers but finally the results that we were getting from this was somewhat pessimistic in that uh, if you were to try to do completely random testing in the population if you assume a prevalence rate of about 1% or some something like that the number of tests that you would require would be quite large you would require like you know on the of the order of 10000 tests to wow to try okay. to accurate accurately right. estimate the prevalence rate within that population right. so that uh, was turning out some not particularly interesting that nobody would buy that no from the perspective of saving costs but then right. manjunath my colleague actually had this other idea that maybe instead of testing maybe we can actually look at the existing test data to see whether we can detect the infection rate in the population from the test data that already exists don't go out with for fresh tests okay so they are already testing anyway of course they are testing in a biased fashion in a sense in some sense they are only testing individuals that are kind of infected they kind of right. no should have rather higher higher probability of being infected but uh, from that is it possible to somehow infer what the wider prevalence rate in the population is yeah it could also be mentioned so actually professor navin he spoke about uh, uh, communication and transmission reception how we use coding theory so part of it is we have uh, also been uh, discussing in our lab how dna by itself can be used in storing information how it can be transferred from one place how can how it can be used to transfer message from one place so we have been discussing in the lab about this and uh, the mechanism so the tests that are being used to detect this virus are these rt pcr tests so the reverse transcriptase polymerase chain reaction and this uh, mechanism of polymerase chain reaction comes up in there as well when you are using it for communication uh, the initial model that uh, professor navin spoke about where we tried to use the structure of the tests in order to pool samples we mm-hmm. tried to use the structure of these uh, rt pcr tests and what they gave us out so that is how it was somewhat uh, easy for us in order to adapt to this particular uh, problem what uh, professor uh, navin said earlier was 1% correlates to about 10000 tests is there an assumption or an objective that an active objective that one is trying to arrive at and therefore how do you even begin dealing with something like this let me start by explaining to you this so called rt pcr test so this right. is something that i think can be explained mm-hmm. in a way that you might be able to understand so what this test does effectively is the following it takes a sample that is taken from a swab from you somebody will insert some swab into your nostril or to the back of your throat this swishes it around a little bit puts it in a test tube or whatever or maybe on a on a slide and what you call those things yeah. slides and uh, they this provide that goes into this machine called not like reverse transcriptase pcr which is polymerase chain mm-hmm. reaction what does this do i mean at a high level what this does is simply the following it uh, it specifically looking this test specifically targets viral rna okay rna from the virus it is not dna it is rna right viral viruses have rna like they are right. primitive so they don't really have dna they have rna right. 
So they particularly targets to checks the sample, checks to see if this sample has viral RNA. How, how does it check this? What is so if the sample if it has viral RNA? The PCR. What PCR is a process that takes a molecule that it is targeting and amplifies it. That is, it creates many many copies of it. I see. Okay. Okay. So if you it takes one molecule, one viral RNA molecule, PCR one one cycle of PCR will double it. Will make a copy of it. Right. Another round of PCR will double both. So right. make two become four, four become eight. Right. So it's an exponential doubling. So after ten rounds of PCR, the original molecule becomes two to the power of ten, one thousand molecules of the same nature. Right. So if your sample had already a certain amount of viral load, viral load, viral mm-hmm. molecules, mm-hmm. so that after let us say thirty cycles of PCR would get amplified to two to the power of thirty multiplied right. by whatever the original number of molecules was in your sample. Right. Then. There's a thresholding that takes place. There is some sort of, you know, there is uh, there is some sort of a floro fluorescence that the fluorescence generating of material that is attached to this viral RNA. And okay. if there is enough, and then you shine light on it, and they, if there's a lot of viral RNA in there, this fluorescence, or this fluoroforms, fluorophores as we call them, fluorophores will fluoresce. And they generate fluorescence. You measure the fluorescence intensity. If that intensity of that fluorescence exceeds a certain threshold, you declare positive. Oh, I see. Okay. Wow. So okay. And then, if it does not exceed that certain threshold, then you declare the sample is clean. So it I could see. just be that the original sample could be so dilute that, like, there, are, there may have been some virals in viruses, in, viral RNA in it, but not enough so that after 35, 40, you, know, you do 40 rounds of PCR. After that, also, even how much ever that gets amplified. Amount of fluorescence it generates may not be enough to exceed the threshold that you test that you set. That just means that like you know we're not infected so badly. Okay, if you're just taking from a particular individual, that means okay you may have some amount of little bit of infection, but not bad enough to really flag it as like something to be worried about. So, and uh, so you are, and so PCR tests are not just positive or negative tests. It's not just they don't they're actually more informative than that. They right. actually are able to tell you. If you calibrate these tests, they're actually able to tell you how much viral load is there in the sample that you're testing. Okay, so the popular notion is that yeah, COVID positive, COVID negative. But well, it's actually more informative than that. So you can actually so that is what will actually help when you want to do pooled sampling and you want to detect prevalence rates in a population. See now, if I have two infected individuals in a population of ten, eight clean, two infected. Now the amount of viral load that is going to be in the pooled sample is going to be proportional. To the number of infected individuals, the amount yeah. of viral load will be proportional to the number of infected individuals. Yeah. So you. You, if you run PCR on it and you are able to try to determine, in some absolute sense, how much viral load was there in the sample, you should be able to then estimate what proportion of individuals within your sample were infected. That is precisely what we were looking for, right? That is exactly the prevalence right. rate. You take random people, right. put them together, pool them, and like do this. Voila. So this is all well and good, except now you have to now model, you know, false positives. Like if your sample gets too dilute, so this is this will be the standard, right? Like one percent prevalence rate means you have to capture enough. You take hundred individuals together, maybe one person is infected, but now your sample has become so dilute that enough viral load for the test to actually flag it as mm. being something. We'll not be able to detect that there's sufficient viral load. So to get around that, you'll have to devise ways of kind of you know uh, maybe more effective sampling or pooling even larger samples together. Or I don't know. I mean, it is so. These are the type of issues that you have to model, right? and you have to even model okay. the process of taking swabs. Now, if I poke something into your nose, 
and uh, you know poke around a little bit and like you know the skill of the person collecting the swab from you also matters even if you are infected the swab is not picking up this viral particles from your from from the back of your throat it is mm. going to come up with the, as a false negative so all of these you have to model uh, you know the process of transferring sample collection itself whether it is faithful or not whether it is actually collecting samples the sample that is collecting will actually contain a viral load that is proportional to the actual viral load in the individual or is it just that the swabs are collected in a manner that is not reflective of the actual viral load in the individual so that is one part of this process and the next part of this process is once you stick it into pcr then like uh, what is the process by which you can determine using pcr output this fluorescence output of pcr how much viral load was there in the sample you, know, you need to sort of i guess have a model for uh, what is how many on an average how many individuals within that random sample of population will be infected so you need to have some sort of an idea of the distribution of the indiv- some parameterization perhaps right. of the distribution of the viral load among individuals in a population even if an individual is infected the viral load it's within various individuals carrying the infection could be different this is another parameter that we go into this model ultimately therefore if we have to talk about the model that is now in operation that has now been deployed when did this actually when did you actually launch this if that's the right word to use uh, okay so once again this is two different things we are talking about i was so far talking about okay. the pooled sample estimation of prevalence rates from tests we went yes. back we ditched that because we said that like you know from after all this modeling etc it turns out we require too many tests to be doing it is not worth it worth our while to be doing estimating prevalence rates using this method okay understood nobody in the policy business will be happy with this icmr will simply right. throw it out of the window because it's not solving the problem of cost benefit ratio basically okay uh, at least according to our models according to uh, right so we then this idea of manjunath uh, my colleague manjunath so i should say that manjunath is really providing a lot of these ideas he's not here in the college one to be on his uh, area of expertise is probability and statistics now okay so now we are talking about a different model now we have so the way now we viewed this project this particular thing that his idea was the following every day a certain number of tests are reported as being positive in the you know from whatever like you know sources that you icmr or whatever reports this number of positive tests they may report mm-hmm. other data also but like how many individuals are tested how many tests came out positive and so on. every day these numbers are available to us okay now what are we interested what we are interested in trying to know is there is okay, we are able to see this number of tests great now out of this can we infer how many individuals within the population at large are actually carrying the infection is it possible to infer this number okay so every day there will be a new bunch of infections right we don't know this number it is unknown we are trying to measure it using tests okay, okay. so the way to view this is there is an input signal this is where back to our signal processing or error control coding kind of methodology there is a signal being transmitted which we don't know the receiver does not know the signal is the information bearing signal this is the number of new infections per day okay that is a signal right that is as a function of every day there will be a number of daily number of there's a time series you can plot now that i don't know that plot because i that i can't observe directly i can only observe it through a filter of tests so there has to be some process of modeling how this unknown signal of infections number of daily infections gets filtered to the number of positive tests so we model okay. that mapping and then now what we see is the output we see the output of this mapping the number of daily the number of tests that are positive that is the output of this mapping this is what you are observing that's the observable unobservable unknown underlying signal is what we would like to estimate we have a model for input to output that is a testing model how we precisely we come across this model you can discuss but there is a model now we are in familiar territory 
that is there is a black box that takes input to output that black box has some sort of what we call a transfer function that is known to us or at least that's what we are modeling we are seeing the output and we want to estimate the input this is precisely what we do as coding theorists or as uh, signal processing people in communication this is what we do on a daily basis this is our bread and butter estimation detection theory so this is so we set our like you know okay this is what it so we have a bunch of tools for this you put pull out one of those tools and like plug it into this and see bam it worked quite well in the sense that if you generate we don't know the actual unknown underlying signal but here we try to say all right now bring in your models you throw give us your models of how the signal is generated i don't care how this actual infection is progressing it is progressing somehow i don't i don't see that i'm only able to measure it using tests you may have a model for generating it that is what most people in this business do model for for how this how these infection is spreading spreading yeah. particles correct some people doing this you give us any model you like so we have a bunch of models on our app that we then have mm-hmm. generated for generating mm-hmm. infections there are some of these are realistic some are non realistic some is real data so these are all things that are like you know models like you know, right. sorry, these are generative models for generating a time series of infections you may or may not believe those models I, but i know my like my model for how input the time series of infections is affecting the time series of tests that model is fairly on fair ground on, on pretty firm ground as far as i'm concerned provided certain assumptions are made so we have a estimator that takes the output that measures this you know uh, time series of tests data that we see every day that looks yeah. at that and determines what the unknown underlying number of infections is but what we are not modeling and let me be very clear about this what we are not modeling is how the infection is spreading our entire estimator is agnostic to that the only thing we are modeling is how are the tests how are the tests being carried out okay and how in your model how do you know which one is there an absolute correct or an absolute ground truth this is called the ground truth yeah right we don't know the ground truth but what okay. we can do devinay may be also in a position to tell you a bit more about this later or when i'm done with explaining the basics fundamental to this you as i said you give me whatever you want to you take some unknown underlying time series take mm-hmm. you generate your infected time series in any which way you want this is your test this is for testing purposes testing our estimator right. you right. give me you produce a time series of unknown underlying infections this right. is what you as maybe a all powerful genie in this infecting population you are controlling how the population is spreading you are determining it and you are telling me you are now saying that this is how the population is spreading now you test and what you are able to see is only the output of the tests okay so i will give, i will test i will use the test data on my population on which i have complete control of how the infection is spreading i will use tests on this and provide you the results of those tests okay this is what the government is basically doing they are providing us the results of these tests you don't have control really so much about how to test itself so based upon prevailing norms for testing the this individual this genie is testing the yeah. individuals in the, the population that is within the genie's control and providing the results of this tests okay. daily every yeah. day these are infections positive test positive test every day right. and then you say we run our estimator on it and provide the genie okay look this is what we believe to be the unknown the actual i mean this is what we believe is our estimate for the for the number of infections per day right. the genie now compares he has the actual number and we are this is our estimate we are giving the genie compares the two things and says oh look i mean basically they look the same so no matter how the, what the point our the, the power behind our estimator is no matter how you generate the time right. series of infections our estimator works well it doesn't matter how the infections are actually being generated mm-hmm. it's just the model for the tests and the fact that like we have this input output relationship between testing 
in between the infections and the results of these tests. And that relationship we are modeling somehow. And our estimator is taking that into account somehow. And it seems to be doing a pretty good job. Uh, well, the assumption is assuming that our model for input-to-output is correct. Right. So that is the sort of the weak point of that. We can't right. really test it so much. If our model for input-to-output is not uh, correct or like, you know, if the output in real world, the real world output does not meet the assumptions of our model. Right. In other words, the real world transfer okay. function between input and output does not meet the assumptions of our model, then we are out of business. We can't do anything much about that. Our then hope is that the real world does meet the assumption of our model because we try to model it as realistically as we can. As long as the test results follow this particular model for input to output, like you know, the model where we are modeling how the test results are being obtained from the sample, from the infections, from the infections. Right. The, even if, so from then only from the test results, we're able to generate the signal quite well. We're able to regenerate the signal pretty well. So that tells us that our estimator is quite robust. So no matter how the infections are being generated, whatever our estimator tells you as this is probably how the infections are, is, you know, what the infection, the number of infections that you see every day, this right. is what that signal looks like, you right. can probably believe it. Because that is probably the ground truth. Probably, we have no other way of saying it. So essentially what you tried to do with, let's say the previous model where you were looking at pool, pooling sampling data, etc. We've actually kind of achieved it in finding the prevalence rate of the infection by reverse engineering, essentially, from the data that you have of the number of tests. In some sense, yes. I mean, we have achieved it using different methods. Yeah. Achieved it, who knows? I mean, yeah, this is what we're saying. But, I mean, we are saying in the sense that, like, as long, no, we are, not, we are being very careful. As long as the testing strategy meets the assumptions of our model. And as it turns out, realistically, that is not true. The testing strategy that is used in practice does not meet the assumptions of our model. I see. Okay, this is great. Thank you. Uh, that's that's really helpful because uh, I have actually progressed in my understanding of this particular topic. There was something you said that Vinay might be able to throw some light on in terms of the specifics yeah. of. So, uh, so he mentioned about the uh, different generative models that we used. So he yeah. mentioned about the genie. The genie basically had a population and basically. Uh, spread the infection among the population and gave out the results of the test. Uh, test uh, who, whoever was confirmed positive. So this genie, you can think of uh, two things in the current scenario. So mm -hmm. made of two things. So one is the coronavirus itself. You think of it as an entity who is generating the infections. And then the second uh, thing is that it's the government. So basically they are the ones who are dictating how the tests are done. And that is what is given as the output to you. Right. And using these tests, we want to see what the actual infection that the coronavirus created is. That was what. Uh, so now, in order to see the, in order to verify that our uh, estimator does a good job of it, instead of, so we, do, we exactly don't know how the coronavirus has spread the infection among the population. Right. So, so what we do is we want, but we want to say something about our estimator. That is the, mm -hmm. what, what we use in order to estimate the, how the infection uh, the fraction of people who have been infected. So in order to do this, we uh, test it on different generative models. So one of the uh, very popular generative models that the epidemiologist used is uh, where you say how many people a particular infected individual in. So this is known as the R0 value. So basically, uh, if, on, uh, if on say day zero, there are 100 people who are infected among the population. 
and uh, so on uh, day 1 there will be 100 times r not people who are similarly on day 2 there will be 100 times r not times r not so each uh, so there will be 100 times r not people on the first day and they will infect r not more individuals and this will, this will keep on going so on day k say there will be 100 times r not to the k raised to the k those many number so this was one of the models that we used in order to so this is, so let's uh, forget about uh, so let's say corona the coronavirus it's basically uh, taking r not individual so it's basically spreading the infection among the population using this uh, type of a model this was one of the generator this is one of the generator models now you pick uh, some so the government now picks some of the individuals and test them and then it gives out a number to you on each day saying these are the number of people who have tested positive and uh, using our transfer function you uh, so using the transfer, uh, so now we use our estimator in order to estimate the original uh, fraction of individuals who were infected in the original population so the, so this was one of the models so so similarly there are other models as well so in one of them you simply you have an area say you have some bangalore mahakash and you deploy uh, individuals and then you say that people who are nearby interact with each other uh, so I mean, if a particular individual is infected, everyone within a particular radius of him also gets infected on a successive day. So, so this is another generative model that we used. So there are other models in the literature as well, wherein uh, you have communities in order to model these hotspots kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So you have different uh, communities, and uh, uh, interaction within the community is very high, and interaction across communities is a bit low. So, uh, so when the infections are generated using such kind of a model, and uh, how does our estimator perform on them? And we have seen mm-hmm. that. no matter what the uh, infection spread model that you use are in uh, estimator is pretty robust towards it how long does it take to come up with these various generative models so generative models are pretty much uh, known in the literature as such so mm-hmm. i mean uh, there is nothing like coming up with it as such but uh, i mean it, the only effort probably is perhaps to write it in terms of code so that it can be visualized i think it took around one and a half two weeks right and when did this when did you actually launch this this was in april last week of april last week of april has this app been utilized by any governmental agencies or uh, health departments or anyone to actually look at how we can use this data to analyze future courses of action i mean to come up with future courses of action is there any such so yeah let me take this and beginning of may first week of may i uh, reached out to icmr the indian council okay. of medical research so i reached out to their uh, basically the head of their informatics department data scientist dr harpreet singh and uh, so then like we exchanged a few emails and we actually even had a face to face meeting not i mean not online of course <clears throat> between ourselves and uh, and that side so just to see what we could whether what we had was of any use to them or was of any interest to them so so they showed some initial interest and uh, so after like some meeting or one or after a meeting it was uh, it was we sort of thought that what one use case where it would uh, be of which would be useful to them and was also good enough in the sense that the way that the data would be generated the testing worked for that particular use case would kind of meet the assumptions within our model okay, within our input output relationship that we take in our model Use in our model. So this particular thing was uh, for the prevalence rate of the infection among health workers. 
So they then like said that they suggested that we could then provide us uh, provide them our app and they would try to integrate it into their servers, etc. And then, but somehow then that fell through. It they not they did not follow up and uh, we tried mm-hmm. to reach out again, but they basically lost interest. Or I think right. it, at that time it did not meet uh, their main uh, whatever their you know their trust of their operations. Yeah, or correct. Like, exactly. Right. So it is not something that was I guess that they sure. was worth, worth their time for. Sure. And uh, we have not really done. We did not reach out to anybody else beyond that. Yes. So because I think, uh, as far as we, I was, we were concerned. Like the ICMR was probably the best place to try to get uh, people interested in it because these, those are the people who are generating the test data in the first place, or who have access mm-hmm. to the entire test data in the first place. Right. So right. they have much more access to test data than we do. I mean, then that you would see just like you know they have more information than they within their data banks than. They let on in public. All of that uh, is, uh, you know, would could have been potentially of use, but to, you know, both from our perspective as well as from their perspective. But anyway, that mm-hmm. and to a lesser extent, we also looked. Uh, I mean, we also tried to see whether we could uh, leverage this Arogya Setu app uh, mm-hmm. to provide us some of the data that we sought beyond what was available through this, uh, through just the tests that you see. That is like, was okay. there any other data that the Arogya Setu app could provide us that we could then use to tweak our estimator? Then we looked into that bit, bit a little bit, but that also did not pan out in the sense that Arogya Setu app was not generating data that was useful to us. So our goal initially, at least, was to get policy people who drive policy to take a look at what we have mm-hmm. to see whether this tool could be of use to them to guide to determine the policy that they would ad- adopt mm-hmm. in combating the infection, the spread of the mm-hmm. infection. And we really have not been successful in getting, having anybody pick it up. And except for that, but of course, you should, I should also say, except for the ICMR effort, we have not made much of an effort either to reach out. Right. It's not clear who else we could reach out to. That is the other thing. So maybe they'll listen to this podcast. <laughs> maybe things will change. Well, maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. Uh, I mean, it, we just we have a tool. I think it is useful, yeah. but it is only yeah. useful in the sense that it is kind of estimating what even they were calling the ICMR people also said is what we are trying to estimate is, I guess, the darkness around us, like what we are not able mm-hmm. to see. What we are able to see is what the tests are saying anyway, but what we are not able to see is what we are trying to estimate. Right. This sort of effort in in terms of just detection is it. Practice elsewhere in the world, in any in other countries. So there is actually a there was a, a couple of scientists uh, or researchers from IIT Bombay. I think it's mm-hmm. a husband and wife couple, and Devraj Chakrabarti and uh, Siuli Mukhopadhyay. They also had a similar idea of trying to determine infection rates using another observable. Their observable was the time series of deaths. It's again something that you can observe, of course. Right. right? Like, and, yeah. uh, so you try to again model, do the same sort of thing. You model how the infection rates affects the death rate okay. or right. the amount, number of deaths being caused by the infection. And then you kind of, then you, mm-hmm. so to speak, then you, from what you can see, you try to infer what the input could have been. Mm-hmm. They have uh, a, a preprint on MedArchive, which is sort of right. a repository of unpeer-reviewed data, which uh, unpeer-reviewed uh, uh, work. Okay. Which is up for you know, public which anybody can see. Again, I think they also probably ran up against the same forces as we did. Mm-hmm. In that, mm-hmm. uh, it was not something that was of immediate use to the people fighting the infections. 
now what else other i know that uh, there are okay there are other means of trying to determine the infection rate idea mm-hmm. is to try to detect it as early as possible or try to see how the infections are spreading as early as possible as opposed to in our case for example or death rates for example for example let me take a more extreme case of death rates you will only see a death happen after about 2 weeks of the infection right a death happens it happens about 2 weeks after the infection so it's a lag so if you, right. if you look at the count the number of deaths you know use that as your signal as your you know as kind of the, the observable right. estimating unknown signal what you'll be doing is only able to maybe estimate what happened 14 days back right but then the infection right. has gone ahead there are 14 mm. days in between that you have missed yeah. the current so you're 2 weeks behind time. basically yeah you're 2 weeks behind so our estimator yeah. for example is about 7 days behind let us say i see oh, okay that's useful okay right. maybe 5 7 5 to 7 days behind okay but you want to be as current as possible right and uh, so they do it like so there are other techniques like uh, one maybe not so tasteful technique or like you know something smelly is that they look at sewage people in other countries where sewage mm-hmm. treatments are like you know done much more let us say systematically and so they're able to sort of take samples from effluents sewage comes out of you know various uh, areas yeah. and uh, you test how much viral load there is in the sewage oh, i see because people still have to defecate yeah <laughs> uh, so th- and that uh, is actually or like maybe they use uh, you know cough uh, into their handkerchiefs or whatever yeah 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 you know handkerchiefs their tissues all of that goes into the sewage right right right, right. so you can test the sewage and that will give you a much better idea because you know there you're not waiting to even mm. if you're not in, if you're not showing symptoms mm. you'll still be shedding virus mm. to your bodily fluids right 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 and so you're cl- much closer now to the prevalent infect to current day if you're able right. to somehow use so that is something that people have are actively also doing now i have not followed that literature and right. the modeling seems a little more tricky i'm not sure how you would model it right uh, so, right but anyhow but that is another signal that you can use so as long, so if it all depends on what you want to use as Observable. observable right yeah. if you also had another idea of saying well maybe one more way of observing is okay you go to malls etc and you take random temperature which any people do these days right mm-hmm. you take temperature mm-hmm. samples randomly uh, of people who are walking around and uh, right. you know and the number of people who are carrying a fever maybe you record right and the problem with that is that like you not all the fever is not always be attributed just to this infections mm-hmm. and you're not yeah. also model like other infections and what like how that is being affecting the signal that you are seeing right 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 right, right. Okay, so that is a much more difficult input to output relationship in that it is not a yes. direct input to output relationship yes And that is multiple inputs are affecting the same fever right like you know right, infections right. could generate the same fever so you have right. to be careful in that choosing an output signal that an observable okay. that is directly related to so the infection that you're trying to detect mm. and there's not much work in this aside from i think what i just told you so just i mean i i get that there may not be multiple applications for this tool right going forward but i correct me if i'm wrong but i see a tremendous value in this for its historicity i mean sure, post facto right post epidemic yeah. uh, i mean because i keep coming back to this thing that happened 100 years ago which was the the, the flu epidemic of the of you know 1918 uh, right. in 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 that time and if we had the data that this tool is generating currently for you know that period yeah. maybe we would have been far better prepared in terms of what to expect is that am i right in assuming so is is that a valid hypothesis in the Perhaps, realm of uh, yeah i mean i mean are you saying that you should you try to use this tool on the 1918 epidemic you've not thought of this but is that what you're saying i'm no i'm saying that 20 years from now the data that oh. this tool has generated will still yeah. be valuable 
in, course, in terms of yeah, that won't, that's right yeah you know so as an archive of a repository of data of information and inference and is, is that yeah, quite, that yeah that, i would say so yeah i think that's a novel perspective which i have not thought of but uh, yeah uh, that's a good point uh, yeah i think so i think it would be useful in that uh, i mean you can only sharpen your estimates i think you can get better and better models for like what really happened uh, you know during the testing process um as more and more information is revealed about that so you know you can get better and better models for how the input signal was driving the outputs so i'll tell you one thing though uh, which is something that we you know as we have already discussed sort of it may be might be a good place to end that also mm-hmm. is this business of asymptomatic individuals mm-hmm. i think we started out somewhere, somewhere like that uh, the point is that like we still don't know what yeah. proportion of individuals who are infected are actually asymptomatic who will never show symptoms of the infection despite carrying the load despite right. carrying the infection they will never appear in any test data because they're only you're only testing symptomatic individuals that's pretty bleak actually and yeah. as we are doing it to get a test today who are you like here for example in isc we had a cluster of like in the hostels in isc there's been a minor in, outbreak of infection one girl got infected some of the other girls in the same hostel got tested and a few of those tests came out positive none of them is showing symptoms so you right. know i mean it is just like you know yeah it's like a lottery right now i mean yeah. people walking around bangas like or carrying the infection perhaps spreading yeah. it, but we yeah. will never yeah. and this is what effectively is community transmission exactly yeah i mean like you know it's like I, I, you know the old story of the uh, you know four blind I mean, blind men and an elephant everybody touches yes. a different part of the thing part of the elephant yeah and thinks it's a different beast yeah it is like that right now well on that cheerful note gentlemen thank you so much for being with us is there anything else that you would like to add anybody uh, anybody you want to acknowledge anyone anything you missed no out? i think i do want to acknowledge the role played by my colleague uh, manjunath krishnapur who has been in the dark or uh, like he preferred to stay in the shadows all along but uh, he has been really the driving force behind almost entirely the, mod- the entire modeling effort right. uh, the rest of the implementation and like kind of reaching out or public publicity this that and the other i can be i have been able to do but yeah and like with the help of my students but without uh, but all of this really is underlying effort is for uh, samajnath krishnapur and besides that we have also some of my own students uh, and here one of his students gyaneshwar uh, is a student of his who was involved in um in some of the simulations and modeling mm-hmm. and been aside from vinay two other students of mine uh, arvind and anand were also involved super development of the app uh, i should also add one more sorry one more my i should also acknowledge my wife for like uh, well she is a biologist uh, life scientist a new neurobiologist by training by biochemist right. by training right uh, and so she knows about this rt pcr process like right. she knows rt pcr very very well so i used to go and right. tap her for information about rt pcr she's in fact written right. the rt pcr testing how to use rt pcr testing protocol for the principal scientific advisor's office so she, she was part of the documentation efforts on that so she is so all of her so she's also she's quite an expert in that topic thank you for listening for more information on this project or on other projects developed at the iisc please visit covid19.iisc.ac.in That's covid19.iisc.ac.in.